But what a celebration, what a party as we look at Christmas. And we move into closer to Christmas. And just a week uh, from tomorrow, we'll wake up and be Christmas morning. And, and uh, one of my absolute favorite topics to preach on, probably any preacher's favorite topic to preach on, the Christmas story. All about the baby in the manger. All about you know, Mary and Joseph seeking to find that room, but there's no room in the inn, and, and the angels appearing to announce his birth to the shepherds in the field, and, and the shepherds come, and they, and they worship Jesus there in that barn, and then a couple years later, the wise men show up, and, uh, you know, I told somebody last week, I said, you know, I don't have a problem with nativities like this, you know, the wise men are here, but they really weren't there, you know. That was a couple years later they came along. But, uh, but anyway, love the Christmas story. But more than anything, it's a season that, for the most part, our culture, we've lost the meaning. Would you agree? We've lost the meaning of Christmas. It's, a way, it's commercialized. It's all, even, even the words Merry Christmas really are commercialized anymore. You know, I mean, we get in a huff about people saying happy holidays or this or that. We say, want to say Merry Christmas, but even that has become commercialized. Christmas is about a season that reminds us that our God is not far away. You know, in so many cultures and in so many religions and in, in so many parts of the world, People worship gods, little g gods, who are far away. They worship gods that they are worried about pleasing every moment of every day lest they be struck dead by these gods. And you know, that really came to life for me as we were in Colorado a few years ago and in northern New Mexico there on the Navajo uh, reservation and Brother Jason Walters was telling us about some of the uh, interpersonal relationships among the families on the reservation. And I think I've shared this probably before, but I'll share it again. And that, you know, he said a lot of the, the husbands, there's a lot of domestic abuse amongst the Navajo families because the husbands don't want the gods to think that they love their spouse or their children more than the gods. And so in an effort to show the gods that these people are not as important, there is some abuse. I'm sure glad I don't serve a god that I have to live like that. Because my God is a God of love. And the Christmas story reminds us that in, in what is my favorite Christmas verse, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's Christmas, isn't it? That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's a God who loves us so much. And that's what Christmas is about. He's a God who is near that's what Christmas is about. That's what was prophesied some 800 years before Jesus was ever born. As Isaiah said, and we find it over in Isaiah chapter 7, he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. No, no scripture probably in my mind, sums up the Christmas story better than John chapter 1. John chapter 1, an excellent summary, a profound summary of the Christmas story. And you say, wait a minute, 
How can it be a summary of the Christmas story? There are no shepherds in John chapter 1. There are no angels in John chapter 1. Mary is not even mentioned in John chapter 1. There is no census. There is no riding a donkey to Bethlehem. None of that is in John chapter 1. But the most profound part of the Christmas story is here. The most significant information in John chapter 1, we're going to read two verses, and they're not side by side. In John chapter 1, verse 1, he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths of the scripture and thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you for the glory that we behold in Jesus Christ today. I pray that that glory would be evident as we look through the scripture this morning and that you would teach us as we do so. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, in this text, John puts what is probably the most profound truths in in the entire universe, not just the most profound truths of the Christmas story, but probably the most profound truths in the entire universe, he puts in these two verses. He puts in this passage of Scripture. What is this profound information? Well, the summary of it is this, that God became man. God became man, and that God dwelt among us in all of his glory. And that God is full of grace and truth. If we know nothing else this Christmas, if we think of nothing else this Christmas, this is maybe things we need, these are things we need to remember. Let's look at this. Mainly focusing on verse 14, but we need some background out of verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So just reading that at face value, someone who, you spend a lot of time in church, most of us have been in church a lot, and we know that when we see that word, Word, with the capital W, we know exactly what that's referencing, right? It's referencing Jesus. It's referencing God in human flesh. And we know that because we've heard that preached on a lot in church. But see, to the original audience, some of the original audience who was reading this, it might not have made a lot of sense to them. Because the Greek word used here that's translated word in our text is the word logos. And see, in, in, to the Greek philosophers of John's day, they very well knew logos. They knew that word, L-O-G-O-S, logos. They knew exactly what that meant. You see, the logos represented the impersonal and abstract principles of reason and order in the universe. In other words, the logos is what made everything in the universe work. The logos is what maintained order. The logos is what provided reason and even wisdom. But to them, it was an impersonal thing. To them, it was just something they couldn't explain, just something out in the universe. The logos kept everything going. So what John is saying here is very profound. 
what John is saying here is something that may have even caught them off, off guard. He says that God himself is the Logos. God himself is what keeps the universe going. God himself is the source of all order and all reason and all wisdom in the universe. There is no order absent of God. There is no wisdom absent of God. And this would have probably blown the mind of the Greek philosophers who would have been reading John's gospel. And so you can understand why when we get over to verse 14, it would have taken that mind-blown feeling to a whole new level. Because now not only does the Logos have a name, and his name is Jehovah God, now John says something else. And the word, the Logos, became flesh. Now it's personal. Now the word took on human form. The word became flesh, and that we know is the core of the Christmas story. In a world that lacks order and reason, we don't have to go looking for order and reason because order and reason came to us and what we know as the birth of Jesus. God became man. The word became flesh. Order and reason is here. But not only did, did God become flesh, it says, And the Word became flesh, in verse 14, became humanity, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. You talk about blowing their mind. We already blew their mind in the fact that we said that God became flesh. But He dwelt among us? Yes, at the center of the Christmas story is the fact that even though God became 100% man in the person of Jesus, Jesus Christ remained 100% God in all of his glory. And he wasn't afar off. It says he dwelt among us. Literally, that word dwelt meaning like living in a tent. God pitched his tent among us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul relates our existence using this same word, dwelt. Paul says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. It says God pitched his tent among us. God lived in his tent temporarily here. And Paul says, you know what? You're living in your tent temporarily here too. And I'm living in my tent temporarily here too. But the good news is all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Gospels, we learn that Christ didn't just dwell here temporarily. Yes, he ascended back to heaven. But over in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17, it says that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. So at the very core of the Christmas story is the fact that God became man and continues to dwell among us. Let's don't lose that. You see, I'm afraid that in, in our world today and more specifically in the United States of America, we've forgotten the fact that God himself continues to dwell among us. We wouldn't do half the things 
that we do if we remember that God's dwelling right there beside us. You see, we forget that. Christmas is a wonderful time to bring that to our remembrance. But we shouldn't just remember it at Christmas. We should remember it every day of our lives. Preaching to myself here too. Would you do what you did last week if you had remembered God was standing right there dwelling beside you and dwelling in you? It's something we need to think about. The Christmas story ought to change the way we live because we remember that the person of Jesus Christ dwells in us and among us. Not just today. You see, the Christmas story ought not only remind us that Jesus came and dwelt among his people for the 33 years that he lived, but it ought to remind us about the promises that he's made to dwell among us forevermore. Over in Revelation chapter 21, I know Tim's class has been studying Revelation over the last several months. In Revelation chapter 21, listen to what John wrote. The same writer of what our main text writes this as God reveals to him this revelation of heaven. He says in verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. John says later, as God reveals this to him, you know, you think in John's remembering, John knows you know, he's, he's already written. He says, you know what? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word will dwell with us forevermore in heaven. Christmas ought to give us something to look forward to. Just as much as it gives us something to look back at and remember the baby in a manger. What an amazing thing to look forward to. But you know, as I studied this passage of Scripture, and as I read it, and really what drew me to this passage of Scripture is, is I'm thinking, you know, what, what I'm going to preach about in December, you know, somewhere in the Christmas story. As I'm reading this verse, this line jumped out at me. And it's like this line wouldn't leave me alone. God wouldn't leave me alone about this little line in the Scripture. In verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here's the line that got me. And we beheld his glory. See, not just an ordinary baby. He wasn't just an ordinary man. He wasn't just an ordinary teacher. John says, we beheld his glory. And it got me to thinking, I wonder when the last time we beheld his glory. When was the last time we really beheld his glory? And as I got to study in this and say, what does he mean, we beheld his glory? I thought this one, the scholar I was reading, I thought, well, he's a lot of help because he says eternity itself would not be enough time to talk about God's glory. Then he just kind of moved on. I thought, well, that was a lot of help. You know? When we get to talking about the glory of God, it's something that really becomes indescribable. 
And I'm afraid that, that in America, our church, our churches in America have lost a lot of the reverence when it comes to Jesus. So we think about our homes. We think about our Christmas decorations. We think about uh, everything revolving Christmas, and we may have even the nativities. It's great. We ought to have nativities, but they ought not be decorations. They ought to be things that remind us of Jesus, not just out to look pretty, but things that we look at, and as we look at the decorations, it reminds us of his glory. We see the paintings of Jesus that are in some homes and a lot of churches with the long, flowy hair on a white man, and you think that's not anything what Jesus looked like, you know. Jesus wasn't a white man as much as some people portray him in the pictures. Are our images of Jesus just mere decoration? Or are they really something that say, we behold his glory? Remind us of that. From the Greek, in verse 14, it would have been maybe better translated. I think it's this way in the Amplified Bible. It says, we beheld his very apparent glory. See, they didn't have to go looking for the glory of Jesus. As they watched him in his day-to-day life, his glory was evident. And throughout the Old Testament, God gave glimpses of his glory to his people. They caught glimpses of the glory of God. And actually, over in John chapter 12, it quotes Isaiah. In John chapter 12 and verse 41, it mentions that Isaiah saw the glory of God. Just that he saw the glory of God. I see a lot of things in passing. So I saw that happen, I saw that happen. Listen, John's not saying we saw the glory of God. He's saying we beheld the glory of God. We were witnesses to what made him glorious. John was a witness to the miracles. John was a witness to the transfiguration of Jesus. John was a witness to all these things that made him glorious. And you say, yes, that was John. He was a a disciple of Jesus. He walked with Jesus and he talked with Jesus physically in the flesh. He saw these things. John can say, I beheld the glory of Jesus. But the wonderful thing about the Christmas story is that you and I get to behold his glory as well. That's the wonderful thing about the Christmas story is that he didn't just come temporarily. He came and he left part of himself in the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to teach us so that we could see his glory in our lives every single day. The Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, The word becoming flesh means that you and I have the opportunity to witness his glory in our lives today. And witnessing his glory ought to change our behavior. But John doesn't leave us there. How do we find this glory? He says we see the glory of God through its primary characteristics. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You're looking for the glory of God in your life. John says you find it in the grace of God and the truth that that just emanates from who he is. What is the truth? Well, Jesus said very plainly in John chapter 14, he said, I'm the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. He said, no one gets to the Father except through me. The truth is that Jesus is the only way to heaven. What is His grace? We know from Scripture that His grace is something we don't deserve. His grace means that even though you and I deserve to go to hell, if we believe on the uh, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. And by faith, we're saved through what? Grace. The grace means we get to go to heaven even though we don't deserve it. Are, Are you saved? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you experienced His grace? You ought to behold His glory every day. Every day when you think about the fact that, you know what? If I die today, I'm going to heaven. You experience His grace brand new. In His glory, most of all, we see His love for us. The Son of God. What some describe when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and in verse 14 we say the Word became flesh. Some say in verse 14 that's the final Word. Jesus Christ is the final word in the plan of redemption. That the word became flesh. Such love is really beyond our understanding. You know, I told you that one scholar says that eternity is too short a time to describe the glory of God. But as I was reading another book, I came across this description of its glory. And I said, you know what, I can't quote that. I can't even put it in my own words. It's too good. So I said, I just got to read it. Here's the way one scholar describes the glory of God in his coming in John chapter 1. It says, in his marvelous stoop, we beheld his glory. Greatness is never so glorious as when it takes the place of lowliness. Power is never so attractive as when it is placed at the disposal of others. Might is never so triumphant as when it sets aside its own prerogatives. Sovereignty is never so winsome as when it is seen in the place of service. Yes, we behold His glory. The glory of an infinite condescension. The glory of matchless grace. The glory of fathomless love. Yes, we too get to behold the glory of God as we experience His fathomless love every single day. And it is my prayer that as we go through the coming week, the coming Christmas season coming up, as we celebrate with our friends and we celebrate with our families, that we will stop and take a moment to just behold the glory of God. Just to stop and take a moment and say, yes, we beheld His glory. And that we see it here with us today. It's my prayer that this Christmas, more than ever before, we will experience and we will take time to experience. See, that's the thing. Most people don't experience it because they don't take the time. They just blow through their routine and never stop and take the time to experience the glory of God. But it is my prayer that we too will experience His matchless grace and His fathomless love in ways that we've never done before. 
And so as musicians come and we prepare for our time of invitation, I don't know where that leaves you today. I don't know where that leaves you as we approach Christmas a week from tomorrow. But I'll leave you again with what's my favorite passage of Scripture. And I hope this is real to you. And it's that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you've never trusted him as your Savior, if you've never accepted that free gift of everlasting life that it talks about in John 3.16, there's no greater way to begin the Christmas season. And you know what? Without it, you'll never experience his glory. And you'll never truly experience that fathomless love. Wherever God's dealing with you today, would you take care of that as we stand and we sing?